You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here in our final week discussing Robert Van Gulik's The Chinese Gold Murders, all the way to the end of that story, full spoilers, and Herds! Flex? What's going on? I enjoyed this a lot. I'm glad you did. I I don't think that's a controversial thing to say at all. This book's just a really fun time. It is genuinely really impressive for how straightforward a lot of what goes on in this book is, how much depth it manages to extract from that in the final chapters by not actually doing that much. Like, I have walked away with so much to appreciate, even though the actual writing itself it's a little it's a little patchy. There's some parts that feel like they've been translated through several languages, even though yeah. I don't feel like that's the case. Like he's a Dutch diplomat and he they're supposed to learn how to has how to read English over there, is what I my I understanding. That's what I've been told. That's my understanding. So I don't know why Paul Mita, who wrote the theme song for this here program, uh, actually told me that because he used to live in the Netherlands. Well there you go. There you go. I've only been there like once for a wedding. Blame, blame Paul if I'm wrong is what I'm saying. Blame Paul. Blame Paul. <laughs> or blame me because I I have some Dutch heritage in there. I should know what I'm talking about. I definitely don't. I only know Uma and Upa. Those are the only words that I know. Or is it, or is, or is it Opa? Anyway, point is. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a couple of scenes where there's some holy heavens repeated a few too many times and some characters that elucidate things in a slightly strange way. Well, a lot of the dialogue is like a little bit like awkward in the way that it's delivered. And that's just, that's kind of something that's throughout the book. But I think that the commitment that Robert has to kind of revealing the different crimes and motivations through like Chinese cultural touchstones really sells that. Like there's this really long sequence where we we go to watch a play and the way that it's delivered to the audience is that the, our magistrate D can't follow the play. For whatever, it's like the equivalent of the of Shakespearean language being used on stage, right? Yeah, they like speak a weird intonation that he can't follow. He has to have it interpreted to him by his head thug, Hung Lang. Who loves the theater because, of course, the head thug loves the theater. That's yeah. great. Well, she, well he's, he's, you know, he's the sergeant, Sergeant Hung, I believe it is, who who's like, yeah, I'll, I'll translate this to you. And so you have those three different layers of like Judge D solving the mystery and the play and the translation of the play. But also there's this guy at the crowd who keeps yelling at them because they're making so much noise. He's like, like yeah, but he also like chucks orange peels. He chucks orange them. peels at the judge. And then at the end of the play, when he realizes who he's been throwing oranges at, that he's been throwing it at the magistrate of, of the district, he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. It's this really awkward sequence of events, but it does lend to the idea that this is a public place. We're, we're showing off this cultural aspect of the city of Penglei, which I like a lot. It's so weird too, because the play and what happens in it feels by description pretty straightforward. <laughs> it was too straightforward. It is, it is basically a stage play about a magistrate going around and solving three mysteries. Yeah, it's crazy how that happens. And those, those three mysteries just so happen to have a couple of coinky-dinkle little parallels to what Judge D's been doing. The big one is that there are two brothers who have a, a dispute after their father has died. Yeah. And the father gives them uh, a message inside of an almond. 
it didn't matter what was written inside the almond because it's been like faked or whatever. But the almond itself is a clue because the bad brother, his breath smells of almonds. He like eats a lot of them or something. And so the clue here is that Judge D needs to look at what is containing the information in the different mysteries rather than the the information itself. And there's there's a lot of those sorts of metaphors kind of wrapped up in this uh, in this part of the novel. I did like that it didn't make it feel too cartoonishly parallel, but I, I I thought it walked the line really well. But the other thing that's nice about it is it sort of captures a little bit of the here it comes herds magical realism. Well, it's it's almost like. It's almost like that's something I've been really pushing over the past couple episodes. And I have a confession to make. I have been pushing it honestly way harder than the novel actually pushes the aspects of magical realism in the book. But it is my favorite part of the book. I think the fact that the book doesn't push it too far is part of what makes it so effective. Sure. Yeah. It's a matter of taking advantage of medium, I guess, would be the the key detail that I'd say. Mm. Like you could not pull off the sort of magical realism that this story does because a lot of it comes down to the way that you mentally interpret how characters say their lines. Sure. So when Poe Kai is interrogated on when he saved Judge D's life on a rickety old bridge, he says, what bridge? And it is completely up to your interpretation whether he goes, what bridge? Or what bridge? Mm. It's not subtle, but it is restrained in a way that, allows you as the reader to sort of choose your interpretation, which I think is one of the most fun ways to do magical realism. So by not saying a lot, it covers a lot of ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also add that in in addition to that, that sequence, there is a little bit more context with the description of the magistrate in that the, the magistrate's ghost in that moment is that they are like decomposing and have no eyeballs, which is great. So either Pokai has really upped their makeup game or it is just a ghost. And the other mystery, which I actually really, I really enjoyed, is um, Tang confesses to being the were-tiger. Or does he confess to being gay? Which is it, Herds? It can be both. It can be both. It could be both. It's very clear that he's, like, coded as being gay. That's the, the subtext. But, like, he talks about how he physically went out into the night and, like, clawed at people and attacked them. And he had blood in his hands, all, all this stuff. And obviously it could be just his fears, you know, when Judge D says, oh, maybe Fang, your old flame, who's totally dead right now, was killed by the were-tiger. Tang, you know, this might just be his delusions of like, what if I'm, I was the one who ki- killed killed Fan by, by like turning into a were-tiger. That'd be crazy and awful. And I'd really hate to have done that. I mean, listen, it's, they say the ceiling needs repairs. Maybe it's mold. Maybe he's hallucinating from mold inhalation. You don't know. <laughs> who knows? But like clearly he's they're 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 riding that line where either he is a were tiger or he's been driven mad by grief of his lost loved one. But obviously the very next chapter, the thug characters go out and they hunt a tiger. They bring back a tiger. Whether or not it is the tiger and there was no were tiger, or if it's like a spiritual manifestation of Tang, or if it's, you know, completely unrelated, you know, we, we don't know for sure. I will say, though, I felt like them bringing the tiger back in and being like, yes, we'll cut it up and make a, a chair thing yep. for you, Judge D. Very <laughs> much great. read to me as I wanted to explain this prop from the later books. <laughs> I wonder about that. I mean, I think, honestly, even though the Were Tiger is not mentioned as a mystery, it's probably my favorite subplot in this book. I love the way that that's handled. Also, I was so disappointed. 
Okay, when I got to the page in the book herds mm. where they explain what happened to the monk who ended up being found where they were looking for Mrs. Koo. Can you, can you, ju- I know how that happened, but can you just remind us what happened there? What I'd said was that, you know, because they'd come across a woman being adulterous and she'd run off into the night or whatever. Mm -hmm. She would have been naked and maybe she ran across the monk and the monk died of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And the way that it was laid out in my e-reader, I turned the page, there's the picture of the monk standing next to a naked woman and I'm like, oh my gosh. It's gonna happen. Oh my gosh, is it real? Did (laughs) did monk die from from heart attack from boobies? Yeah, dude, he's found in the mulberry bush. Straight up. But no, it turns out they were then accosted and the monk, while trying to defend the woman, died of a heart attack for fear of combat? That's what it was. It's ridiculous. It's really, uh, really strange. Yeah, switch the, the body switching of the, the that particular monk and the and the woman in in the bush is is very strange. Although it does serve well to like tie Pokai into the situation and to Throwing that extra clue of the staff. Yeah. Out of all the clues, when Dr. Zhao shows up, you know, the day after when they find the bodies and it says, Dr. Zhao showed up and he had like, he had these robes on and he was, his physical description, blah, blah, blah. But then as he's leaving, it says, and Dr. Zhao leaned on his walking stick, but the stick is not mentioned before the end of the scene. And that's a clue because he picks it up off of the monk's body, which is great. I really enjoy those sorts of subtle clues like that. I thought that was really well inserted. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot of good work that they do, especially like talking about how the staffs are hollow. They really set it up well. I will say I felt vindicated. I did feel <laughs> vindicated because... I had sort of ignored the staff clue. I know, which is wild. That just happens to me. Herds has seen me run off into the distance in enough narratives. I need to be very clear. I know we're not in the mystery section, but like when I read this book and they mentioned staffs once and they mentioned them again and they said, there's a big hole full of broken staffs. I was like, oh, so the girls in the staffs. That's like the mystery. That's very obvious. And the fact that you had no clue, you got like, you saw basically everything I else. I felt very vindicated by- Judge D commenting how much of a risk it was to put gold in very hollow staffs because they would have been very easily searched. I felt vindicated. Well, only if you broke it open. Anyway, let's look. Let's not talk about whether you would separate an old monk from his walking stick. Okay, let's not go there. You would, Herds. I would not. I you absolutely not. would. No. Listen, you would you would walk out of a mulberry bush naked, startle a monk, give him a heart attack, take his staff, and run off with the gold I inside it. I mean, I, I don't know that I don't think that she knew there was gold inside the staff, but you know what? If she knew I'm not saying she I'm <laughs> saying you did. True. That way I wouldn't have ended up on a on a Korean prostitute ship. Mm-hmm. That would that would not have been a thing. Which is a wild part of this story. I need to let you know I was I yeah. <laughs> the, the chapter after the one that we like ended on last week, where this woman runs into the tribunal, like, I've got this woman and Pokai gave her to me to keep on my my whoreboat. It's ridiculous. It's a whole thing. It's very silly. The way that she just barges in. And it's I mean, it's like typical of of all the things we've talked about how the tribunal is the the time where judge d gets handed plot points where they're like you seem to have come to a you know a bump in the road so here comes this lady with the actual bolting bride here she is to the tribunal and enjoy like it happened with the butchered bully case it happened with the bolting bride case someone walks into the tribunal and says oh i i know who did that and judge d is like well 
I guess, I guess the cases. So like, it's great. He still obviously is a step ahead of these characters as they're like unveiling things to him, but it's, it's very silly how easily some of these cases would have been solved. I do also quite like the way that the gong sounding for the morning tribunal sessions is like a timer expiring for Judge D to complete his quest. Sure. Yeah, like yeah. it keeps interrupting them in various scenes where they're discussing what's going on and that's when the rest of the clues show up. Yeah. So it's like, have you figured it out by now? Well, there, there's a few points in the story where Robert draws attention to like the various routines of the town. Like there are a couple of times when they talk about characters needing to have their their afternoon rice or their evening rice, and that serves as like a a cutoff point for scenes. It's it's a very natural way of kind of breaking up those scenes, I guess, to be like, yeah, these are the natural stopping points in the day where Judge D would go and have lunch and try not to think about the mystery for a while. But of course, it finds him inevitably. Who knew that we had to go back to something dynasty china to discover work-life balance the tang dynasty the tang di- but he died yeah he died he was the founder of the of the dynasty the tang dynasty or the tang empire was an imperial dynasty of china that ruled from <laughs> 618 to 907 with an interregnum between 690 and 605 what is an interregnum what is that anyway <laughs> i'm very curious now i'm here to ruin jokes that's all i'm here for I suppose herds <laughs> with that uh, anyway. atrocious, atrocious joke out of the way. I love jokes. We should uh, wrap this part of the discussion here and head on over to the mystery section. Also known as a bit. Um, yeah, I think we should talk about <laughs> the bit dynasty. No, we should talk <laughs> about how many points you're getting. Because um, I look, I'm very curious. I if wanna, I walk away with one, I'm happy. I want to I see how we feel, and I want to see how you feel. Because you, okay, you're okay. not getting three. Let's put it that way. I agree. No, you know, do not give me three. That'd be three. a sham. You'd completely Two. undermine every, <laughs> everything that this show for. stands for. Every <laughs> all of the well documented principles that we stand for. I would just ruin all of them. Exactly. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3. We are discussing the Chinese gold murders by Robert Van Gulick. Stick around. More to come on your murder mystery world tour. Interregnum. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. Herds taking a drink right as I start the theme song there, and you're just overwhelmed on the other side of the table. Look, I gotta I gotta clear my throat just in case I need to talk for twenty minutes at least. At least once, even once we're off the air, I need to, I need to keep talking. There's a, there's a lot to discuss. So Herds points. I need I need to yeah. Know. So I look. I, I'll be honest. I feel like I need to pull you because. Mm-hmm. I'm torn. You're not getting three, but one feels too low, but two is kind of a toughie because look, you proposed two different theories. I think, I, did, I, did. I think you proposed. So that's like one point you managed to nail down the, I would argue the core facts of one of the three cases. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for me to pick whether you should receive one or two because you did figure out who the criminal was and that it was the gold and with some prodding, you figured out the staff thing. To your mind, Herds, what is the main case of the Chinese gold murders by Robert Van Gulick? Oh, it's clearly it's clearly the magistrate case. Shut up. It's, there's only, unless it's the Weretiger case, but <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's not open that can of worms. It's clearly the magistrate case, right? 
So if if you were to do on a show where there are no half points, allocate points, you would put one point to the main case uh-huh. and one point to the two side cases. Sure. Uh-huh. Would I? Would I? Do you think you deserve two points, Flex? Is Not that how you really, feel? but just like mathematically speaking, it would be it would be consistent. Okay. With the the, the standards that we've definitely set. That's one hundred percent accurate. There are consistent rules for every every episode. <laughs> Yeah, like let's say yeah, let's say that. Let's say that there's one point to the side cases that you definitely don't get, but then you get the main case. You figured out the who, you figured out you, you said that they brought the gold on the boats, which was totally wrong. I think you also said that it was Korean gold, which is was definitely it not? wrong. It was Korean gold. Was it though? Was they it just specifically like from say the tr- that it was on. really easy to get gold out of Korea and that's why they had a whole bunch of it coming through the port? That's that's a that's a true statement. Do I have to double check this? That's absolutely a true thing. Don't pull the rug out from under, I, under look, me here on this. I just program. need to make sure you know what you're talking about. I mean, I don't, but that doesn't mean that you know I can't stand on a nice rug. Okay, I'll tell you what. I've I've read, read through my notes. It is from Korea, but you said that it was like through the boats. When the the main thing I wanted you to talk about was the was the staffs, which you did not understand without some. <laughs> prodding and pushing and i'm gonna keep coming back to this one but but we do have that entire ordeal where supposedly the bonfire at the monk temple was covering for them melting the gold into the statue it's true i got that however you did miss the entire statue like the original statue was getting like clubbed and thrown in the river you did miss that that's true i did did miss miss that. that entire plot point a man was potentially murdered and you didn't even figure out that it wasn't a man at all I don't know. Do you do you think it's worth you think it worth two points? How are you feeling? You feel like you I mean, solved it to satisfaction? I I want you to argue. I want you to tell me why you deserve your desperate points. Desperate. Desperate, desperate points. points. I, was, I don't know what else what other word. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the the case of the statue getting thrown into the river was like a very accidental side piece that they mm-hmm. just kind of glazed over and in hindsight I'm surprised that they didn't make more of a deal of it like in a in a murder mystery story mm-hmm. another murder happens and one and a half other murders get more focused than one other full fake murder it's sort of an interesting narrative structure like my assumption was I guess that the statue being thrown into the river it didn't really matter who it was because it was just trying to point out like the way that they were smuggling things in, which was via the boats. Mm. So even though, yes, I, I missed that it was the statue that went into the water. And I think, I think that was a well-laid clue by Robert Van Gulick. The general- You can't butter me up through Robert. That's not how this works. Get That's out exactly of how this works. I'm That's an not how this works. I, I do think that generally that was just pointing at like, yeah, they're, they're moving the goods through through the ports, through the boats. It's the people who own the boats that are actually doing the smuggling. So I don't know. I think it depends. Are you, feel, are you feeling tough or are you feeling soft, Herds? Because, you know, I, I said at the start of this year, I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to fight tough. I wanted to fight dirty, in which case mm. I would absolutely not give me the second point this week but you've been such a lovable bear giving me charity points all of this year and you know it just you got you got to be consistent do i have to be consistent i have to make up for my previous niceness by being cruel (laughs) also to be very clear just so that nobody gets strong idea it's not another statue it is the mold yes yes because it's like the the pottery and stuff that they 
trod through on the shores of the the canals of the then crafted gold statue. I just want to I just want to be very clear. So be very clear so that nobody can question my authority on how well I know this book, which is very well. <laughs> uh, back to front. I'm not reading. I'm not rereading the book as we're doing the episode. <laughs> Anyway, have we ever have we ever done an episode of this show, Herds, where one or the other of us hasn't <laughs> checked the book during like every session? It's true. It's usually it's. I mean, I think it's usually you, but that's because you're like, I'm gonna solve this right now. I'm gonna solve it live well, on yeah, air. I, I mean, I also yeah. I I make my notes in line on the text, so I'm typically reading my notes from the book it's, as I. Uh, that's very things. true. I'll tell you what. I I think that because I am not a spiteful human being, I do think that you. Uh-huh. Like you, you nailed down most of the plot. You figured out who the criminals were. You figured out that they wanted the sweet, sweet gold in their them their hills. I think you deserve two points. Frantically looking around the studio, trying to find something that I can make a champagne cork sound with. <laughs> I will. I will give you your two points, but only because that's what Judge D wouldn't do. He would throw you in jail. But he I am not in jail. He would. He would. He'd but be he, like, he, he didn't he solve lets, everything. He let so many people go. He, like that. That's not true. He threw that peasant in jail. That that was honestly weird. Like there are so many <laughs> other so people who come into the tribunal, yeah. and he's like, "Don't you know that's illegal?" He throws that one <laughs> person in jail. It's so sad. <laughs> the peasant gets done in. It feels very out of character, honestly. But <laughs> no, yeah, that's class critique by Robert well, Van Gulik. Right I, I I do think it's interesting because I want to talk about the postscript just briefly. Where honestly, I've been getting a lot of the information about the district magistrate and how that all works. But Robert points out that the way that he treats Mrs. Koo in the start of the solution chapters, who is no longer suitable to be a bride by Chinese law and by the, the laws that they have, by the Confucianist doctrine, she's supposed to commit suicide. That is like what their laws state. But Judge D says, well, I feel like. You have learned a very valuable lesson from your yeah, time. Yeah, as, as, as long as you, you mentally know. didn't commit adultery. Yeah, well, well that's the thing. It's, it doesn't count. It's it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Because Robert says that that part of the book is progressive for the time, which I th- I think is like accurate. But it's it's very interesting the way that it's it's framed, as you say, where he's like, yeah, like. Maybe you mentally didn't commit adultery. I like, though, that that Robert is like, let's talk about women in ancient society and and how their, like, position is furthered through cases, like law cases, and the way that those cases are decided because it sets precedent, which is a thing that still happens. That's how law works. We, like, have cases occur that set precedent for future cases and it knocks on from there. Can I say though, I did find in the postscript one thing that was really strange is we're talking about Mrs. Koo and how she would have been expected to commit suicide. Absolutely. And Robert also says, all in all, the ancient Chinese system worked reasonably well. Well, Capital sentences had to be ratified. I'm skipping some lines here. Capital sentences had to be ratified by the throne and every accused could appeal to the higher judicial instances. And we're at once talking about how it was like progressive of Judge D to forgive a woman from having to commit suicide, but then also talking about how the system worked well because capital punishment yeah. had to go through higher authorities. And it's like, well, if we're bypassing the higher authorities by just expecting people to kill themselves, that 
that's that doesn't really sound like the system's doing much of the work. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not. I don't mean to derail the conversation to talk about the effectiveness of Look, Tang Dynasty law, but it was just very weird framing in the postscript. I mean, it's 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 emblematic of the complicated intersection between personal and governmental policies, yeah. right? Like that's that's what that is. And yes, I'm using big words to avoid having to take a stand on this because <laughs> I don't feel like I'm qualified. But like it's true. That's that's what Robert is interrogating. It's true. He's like Personal politics indicate that you should do this, this, and this thing. Religious beliefs say she should commit suicide. But then if a governmental body comes along and they're like, well, your like personal code says this, but I would like to suggest that you don't commit suicide and do a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Instead, um, she's like, yeah, that, that like it overrides her personal code in the scene, which is very I completely agree with everything you're saying. It's just bizarre that Robert does choose to take a stance and through his own framing undermines his own stance. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> Shout out to Robert Van Gulick. Look, he's a diplomat. He's not a philosopher. It's true. It's true. And besides, all philosophers in the story get totally just destroyed, which is great. Just hosed. Yeah, it's great. Shout out to Dr. Zhao, who we haven't really talked Although about. Although I do love, I do love, just, great. As, just as a final and final note of pleasantry, I love that we're introduced to Po Kai and his poetry and his singing through Ma Zhang and Xiao Tai, who are like, it was hideous. It sounded horrible. It grated my ears. I never want to hear it again. <laughs> and then everyone else through the entire story is like, it's beautiful. He's the greatest poet I've ever heard. I love the sound of his voice. I wish he'd lull me to sleep every night. <laughs> and Can we also, just because I like talking about how clever this book is, can we talk about how idea of the way a tiger and the idea that a man could have two forms and the fact that Pokai is the one singing about the moon it's clearly supposed to be foreshadowing that he has two forms, both as yeah. himself and his more supernatural form as the ghost. It's so good. There, there are so many. Yeah, it's just a lot of good little things, yeah. right? Like this book is straight. full of really, really clever structural clues using small details, and the dialogue is a little clunky. <laughs> the writing is not the smoothest. It's charming, though. Gosh, is it worth? Yeah, it's really charming. I'd really. Strongly recommend that you re- read this book if you haven't, and check out the other the other Judge D books because I'm sure they're I'm sure they're just as amazing, if not more. Look, who knows? Maybe this is the worst one. We just don't even know. Well, Herds, speaking mm. of uh, beautiful, beautiful, strapping young lads. Yeah what what are we what are we doing next week on the show, Flex? Hit me with it. I'm ready. Well, we're not doing Jim Noy, but what? we are. Reading his book, oh. The Red Death Murders. I'm honestly disappointed, but that, I mean, look, the, the book sounds good too. Tell me, tell me about the Red Death. What are we? What are we doing? What are we in for? You'll remember, herds. This happened off microphone when we were covering the last book that we read with Jim Noy, Murder on the Way by Theodore Roscoe. He spoke to us a little bit about how Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death would make such a good murder mystery. Crazy, crazy and idea. Little did we know at the time, herds that Jim Noy was in fact working on that exact story, which he published as The Red Death Murders. And I said it was one of my top 10 books of last year. I stand by that claim and a thought herds. Oh, yeah. It's finally time to get you to read this damn thing. I honestly, I've been wanting to read this book for a while. I'll be real with you. But I've been putting it off because I knew that you'd read it and someone's going to solve the damn thing on this show. So it might as well be me. So I'm going to pray. Weird slightly supernatural atmospheres in big complicated houses that's the theme of the time 
It is that's supernatural. What, that's the current leg of the murder mystery People world tour that we're on. Becoming rats and murdering duchesses. I'm familiar exactly with the time period. We will be reading something that I want you to actually choose for me, Herds. What? What does that mean? So Jim Noy has done something really, really, really oh, cool <laughs> uh, and broken the parts of this book up so that we can either read a tiny little bit or like two thirds of the way through the book in the first week. What? No. <laughs> What do you mean? I mean, we have we can't read two thirds of the book in the first week, can we? Well, okay. Let me uh, definitely definitely <laughs> going to trim this down. Why are you putting this decision on me? Have you not done your research? What's happening? What? I, listen, if I didn't think it was a good idea, I wouldn't suggest doing the longer one. But I want to know if you're up for it. I'm up for it. I'm up for some reading. That just gives me more clues to work with. That just like, that makes it really easy to figure out what's going on. Because then you have to have a second week. Look. Then I I basically know everything. I'm down to read the two thirds of the book. I think that'll be a fantastic time. In that case, Herds, next week on the show, we will be reading parts one to three of the Red Death Murders. That is chapters one to 15 uh, of Jim Noy's little old book. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited to see how I go solving one of those supernatural murders. I'm either going to say it's ghosts or I'm just going to be wrong. It's going to be great. I'm excited. It could be, listen, I, it could, could be, be ghosts. ghosts. You never know what these golden age murder mystery enthusiast types are up to. <laughs> Red ghosts. Mm-hmm. What did Jim Noy bring to the table last time? Was it that horribly racist book? Was that that one? Yeah, it was Murder on the Way by oh Theodore Ross. I mentioned a- it not, not eight minutes ago. You know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to murder some Red Death on the way. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be great. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour. Thank you for joining myself and herds as we read robert van gulick's the chinese gold murders we'll be back with the red death murders by jim noy next week on the show stick around you're listening to 2ser 107.3 let's lock ourselves in a castle let's go